It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, the sports editor of the Providence Journal. I'm in downtown Providence, and with me is our Red Sox beat writer, Bill Koch. Bill? Bill, good afternoon. <laughs> Uh, he's uh, he's slowly getting uh, slowly recovering from his uh, from his road trip. Oh, actually, from his homestand and getting ready to go on a road trip. Uh, not not with the uh, team in Chicago, but uh, to Baltimore. Uh, as the Red Sox have uh, sort of turned the corner here and are playing a bit more like uh, people expected them. They're still not quite five hundred yet, but at fourteen and seventeen as we record this, uh, and have put together. Um, a string of, of good games. I think uh, they've won eight of their last 12. The starting pitching, uh, for the most part, um, with the exception of Chris Sale, has has come around. Uh, Bill, this team looks a lot more familiar. Yeah, I'm uh, recovering from 10 individual road trips up and back to Fenway <laughs> during the homestand. Uh, Those road trips can be more uh, more taxing than uh, going to you know, but Anaheim I, or something, right? As I was told by my brother at lunch, uh, don't whine about travel uh, and don't whine about your job. So I, I won't do that. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> um, no, it was it's it's been better from the Red Sox. It has been better. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're clicking on all cylinders yet, uh, but they're certainly firing on more than they were earlier in the season. Uh, you know, They've won 5 out of 7 and 8 out of, out of 12. You see progress from the starting rotation the last three turns. Um, you see improvement from certain members of the offense. Mookie Betts is, is smoking hot right now, uh, looking every bit like the MVP he was last season. Uh, you're getting some contributions from a few other guys in the lineup, and you can say that you're encouraged here as the calendar flips to May, and that's not necessarily the feeling that we had the first couple weeks of the season. No, definitely not. Um, this is, in, in a lot of ways, this is the spring training they never had. You know, they, they uh, took it easy on, on a lot of the guys in spring training, and they sort of treated April like it was an extension of spring training. Unfortunately, the games count in April. Mm. Uh, but fortunately, and as, and as we've said several times here on the podcast this year, there's nobody in the American League East that is really running away with it. Uh, you know, the Yankees uh, have half their team on the IL, essentially, uh, and the Rays have kind of come back uh, to earth a little bit. Uh, so there's, um, you know, there's no one team that is just putting so much distance that you can't overcome. And, and that's a good thing if you're a Red Sox fan, because it does seem like the bats are, are um, clicking more consistently and more importantly, as you pointed out, the pitching. And why don't you tell us what some of these uh, what the ERA has been here in recent in recent because in recent games, because it's a lot better than I thought it was. Well, in the last 17 games going into Wednesday, uh, which was a series finale against Oakland, a, a 7-3 win that, that finished the sweep there. The last 17 games prior to that, the Red Sox starters had posted a 3-2-7 ERA, which is quite good, yeah, if absolutely. we're being honest. Yeah. Uh, opponents had hit 218 against them. Uh, that ERA by that group ranked second in the American League and fourth in the majors. Uh, so you've gotten... Over that span. Over that span. Yeah. You, you've gotten really good starts from David Price. Rick Porcello has completely turned his season around over his last three starts. Eduardo Rodriguez turned in two pretty good home starts. Uh, you know, struggled in his last one, but you know, generally has been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's been a group that looks like They've been properly run in now. It's kind of like you buy a new car and they tell you, don't take it up to 100 or 110 miles an hour until you have 
four or five thousand miles on it. You know, make sure that you properly run in the engine. The Red Sox were a little slow out of the gate. They didn't work these guys hard enough in spring training. I know that they're still contesting that and pushing back uh, against us on that theory, but they just didn't. The results speak mm-hmm. for themselves. This looks more like the group that we expected to see and more like the group that we saw at the end of last season. Uh, so do you think um, the improvement in the pitching has any single factor behind it? Uh, you know, obviously one thing that everyone will point to is uh, the return of Sandy Leone. Um, but is it is it part that? Is it because they're, they're getting more work and have gotten more work? Um, uh, what, what do you think? Why all of a sudden the switch has, has been coming on for these guys? Well, the reason that they were getting hit early on is just generally as a group, they lacked command. They were mm-hmm. leaving pitches out over the plate. That suggests a lack of sharpness. For me, a lack of sharpness comes from a lack of work. Yeah, that, that's that's usually the case. If you haven't been pitching a whole lot, you haven't been able to sort of refine your command. And you're making mistakes against major league hitters and major league games, and, and they're going to hit it a long way. You can make mistakes in spring training. You're, you're facing guys who are going to be in the minors or guys who are going to be released and, and out of baseball. That's fine. Once you're facing real lineups, you come out of the blocks against Seattle, a team that leads the majors <clears throat> in the home runs right now. That was a difficult assignment. Seattle ran you over three out of four games. You had trouble against Oakland on the road. That's a place that they have struggled throughout the last three or four seasons, a place that they have not had much luck. You lost three out of four there. Then you go to Arizona, Brian Johnson gets hurt. You All of a sudden, you're thin in the bullpen. It's the end of an 11-game road trip in 11 days. They looked fatigued. They struggled there as well. It was a, a perfect storm of things through those first 11 games, and I think we've seen a lot of that turn, whether it be the starters be a little sharper, the bullpen guys a little more comfortable in their roles. Uh, the offense picking it up a little bit and actually having a chance in some of these games. I think the only specific guy that you could point to for Sandy Leone would be Rick Porcello. Uh, you know, the last three games that he has pitched, given up five earned runs uh, in 19 and two-thirds innings. His last start, eight scoreless innings on two hits uh, in a 5-1 win over Oakland. The first time in 133 starts with the Red Sox, that he's gone more than seven innings without allowing a run. And, and I know people will look and they'll say, Porcello's a professional and he should be able to throw to anyone and it shouldn't matter who the catcher is. You're just comfortable with certain people mm. sometimes. Mm. It's really that simple. And, and the way that those two guys work together, Porcello has his lowest career hits per nine allowed with Leon. He has his best strikeout to walk ratio with Leon out of catchers who he's thrown 100 innings to or more. I don't think it's coincidental that all of a sudden he's turning around with Leon behind the plate. No, and it's something we've seen over the years with different pitchers for for the Red Sox. They they just particularly like one one catcher. They they tend to do better. The guy calls the right kind of game, knows the tendencies or whatever. And and uh, you know, uh, Leon certainly is has been that for Porcello. And generally, I think for for most of the staff that they they are all you know very comfortable with Leon behind the plate. Uh, the one guy who has not exactly taken off or turned the corner, or at least not turned the corner sharply enough, has been Chris Sale, who is still uh, winless in this young season. His uh, his velocity looks better than those first couple of starts, but uh, the command really hasn't been there. Do you just think it's a matter of time here, or is there something, you know, I know we ask this every week here, is there something else going on? Yeah, I, I think he's healthy. Uh, I just think that... 
they they're trying to play a long game with Chris Sale in terms of having him ready for September, October. Those are two months where he's faded each of the last two seasons. They might have taken him out of the gate even slower than anyone else mm. on that staff. Uh, you look at his last start against Tampa. Yes, there are four runs allowed in seven innings. He lost the game. Only four hits. Two of the runs were unearned uh, mm. on an error committed by Rafael Devers. Right, that's some bad uh, luck. And then there sure. was a, a triple hit by Yandy Diaz after that that drove in two runs. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was better. Uh, you know, his previous start, five innings against the Tigers, five hits, two runs allowed, ten strikeouts. The strikeout numbers have come up significantly. He's had 24 his last three starts. He only had eight his first three. Right, right. So it suggests that he's getting more swings and misses particularly on his slider. That looks a little better. The velocity at Yankee Stadium in his fourth start of the year was his best of the year. He was over 95 miles an hour. So that suggests that that's still in there. I just look at Sale and I see a guy who is restrained in some way. Mm. He looks like Rick Vaughn in Major League Two. <laughs> you know, he hasn't necessarily forgotten how to throw hard, and, and I don't think that he needs to see a sports psychiatrist or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I get the feeling that he's holding back, whether it be through his own thoughts about preserving himself for later in the year or through some sort of club mandate that says, Chris, try to pitch a little more Mm. early in the year. Try to hold back on that 95, 96 mile an hour fastball until later in the year when we really need it and you could sort of let it go after the all-star break and extend yourself then. Mm. Um, And I just don't think that they've quite gotten the calculus right at this point. I'm not concerned from a physical standpoint with Sale. I I am a little bit concerned about the fact that he just seems to be so frustrated and that they haven't won any of his six starts to this point. Well, I'm sure it's not easy for a guy who, like Sale, has... uh um, you know, been so successful, and really, when he was with the Chicago White Sox, he didn't really have to worry about the playoffs. Um, and, you know, sort of to tell somebody, "Hey, we're going to take one of the weapons, or we're going to ask you to to limit the use of one of your weapons here early on." I'm sure it's not an easy thing to do because, you know, Sale, you know, he's one of these guys. He's got historic numbers when it comes to strikeouts per nine innings. You know. Um, and one of the reasons is he can rear back and throw 96, 97 when he, when he needs to. And now you're telling him, hey, you know, let's, let's put the brakes on those a little bit. I'm sure it's not easy to, to, to sort of change your attack or change your strategy when you're being asked to, hey, don't, don't fire that bullet quite as often. And especially when it, it's not successful at this point, which yeah. it hasn't been. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think that contributes to a lot of his frustration. And, and you know, again, he hasn't said, as much, you know, he hasn't said that he's been asked by the organization to hold back a little. He would never say that right. publicly, um, but he just looks like a guy who is frustrated and who isn't necessarily hitting at a hundred percent right now. And and I just, I don't think that it's all physical. I I, I don't. I think that he's fine physically. I, I don't think they're worried about his workload at this point. His last start, he threw 111 pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they're they're obviously not concerned about how deep he can go into a game, how many pitches he can throw, uh, you know, how his shoulder feels or his arm feels. I think he's just trying to hold something in reserve for later in the year, and I think he's really frustrated with the results that he's getting right now uh, because of that. Right. Um, so let's, um, let's switch over here and, and look at the offense a little bit. The, uh, the, the bats have sort of been coming back uh, to life on a more consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had Bogarts uh, out of the lineup for a couple of days. Um, we also have had Dustin Pedroia 
starting a uh, rehab stint up in Portland. Um, and uh, Pedroia is uh, Pedroia is tied into our next topic here because I want to hit on the Michael Chavis uh, situation, who has really been a great uh, spark, a bright spot. Uh, probably up here a little sooner than a lot of people thought, certainly sooner than I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's, he's uh, I want to check the numbers here. He's hitting, I want to say over three, yeah, he's hitting 314. He's, he's already hit uh, three homers, eight RBIs and kind of limited action. And he's been okay at second base and, yep. and okay at, at, you know, they moved him to first for at least a game there. Yep. Um, so I guess the, the, uh, the million-dollar question here is: What do they do with Michael Chavis when Pedroia, if Pedroia is ready to come back, uh, if Brock Holt is ready to come back, if Eduardo Nunez is ready to come back? Last I checked, you don't need four second basemen. That's why these questions are generally above our pay grade, uh, because <laughs> if we had to make these decisions for real and, and not just talk about them on the podcast. Uh, they'd be a lot more pressurized. You know, right, I, I'm, right. I'm breaking into a little sweat just trying to talk about it right now. <laughs> and it has no stakes for me. Right. Uh, generally, and I tweeted this out the other day, I think you need to ride this wave with Chavis for as long as it lasts. Mm. You know, until eventually it crashes and, and he's not hitting like this anymore. He's not getting on base like this anymore. Um, you know, then you could gently either sit him down or mm. send him back to Pawtucket. Um, because he needs to play every day. He needs to get at bats. He's 23 years old. Sure. Sitting him on the bench in Boston as a reserve does his development no good. No, absolutely not. If he's not going to start or at least play consistently, he should be with Pawtucket and playing. Correct. And so I look at him going forward, and I think out of that group of guys that you just mentioned, he has the most upside out of all four, considering his age, the power potential, the plate discipline he showed so far, he's walked seven times in 43 plate appearances. It's pretty good for a young hitter. Yeah. Obviously, the league is going to see more of him. They're going to adjust how they pitch him. They're going to change some things in terms of where they put fastballs, when they use off-speed pitches, and, and whatnot. But the guy that we've seen so far is a productive Major League player and, and a guy who demands to play every day. Sure, Certainly sure. should, whether it's at second base, at first base at times. Maybe as a designated hitter, if you get Martinez into the field and you want to give you know, Moreland or Pierce or anyone else a day off, mm-hmm. uh, you might use him as a DH. But he's someone who needs to play and someone who has definitely given them a little bit of, of, of a spark with his energy and, and his enthusiasm here. Um, you know, he sort of brings that freshness that, that a rookie would. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been nice to see. It's really a team of veterans, even though you've got a lot of young players still on this roster, Devers and Bogarts and Bradley and and even Betts. I mean, these are not old. Benintendi. Benintendi, right. These are not old guys, but they're veterans because they've been up here for a few years. And, and Chavis obviously is truly a rookie hmm. uh, in that sense. But, uh, you know, the question here is, so if we can look ahead by two, three weeks maybe and say, okay, Holt is healthy and Pedroia is able to get through his uh, rehab stint with Portland and Nunez is back, what do you do? Well, here, here, this brings up some interesting sort of roster decisions, not only in terms of who should stay and who should go, but when should we activate certain guys. Hmm. Uh, Nunez just played his third game at Pawtucket, uh, went two for three today with a home run in, in the first game of doubleheader at Buffalo. Had a back strain. He'll be the first guy off the injured list. Um, most likely, Zhu Weilin would be the corresponding move. Right. Uh, he's a utility guy who's a spot starter, who's also an infielder. 
Uh, you figure Bogarts is going to play most of the games at shortstop. Nunez can play third base or second base. You know, that's essentially what Lynn would do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you would think that, that Lynn would be the next guy out. Um, in terms of Holt, he's been pulled back from a rehab assignment now for the second time. He has right shoulder soreness this mm. time, in addition to the right eye problem that he's dealing with. There's no timetable for him to start baseball activity again. So he might be further away than what we thought. Right. Uh, you might not need to worry about having to activate him at some point anytime soon. Yeah. In terms of Pedroia, Alex Cora had some interesting comments on Pedroia, not just yesterday, but earlier in the week as well. Um, talked about how Pedroia needs to be at the point where he's an everyday player to be on this roster. That really caught my attention because in my mind, I have serious doubts that he can ever be an everyday player again. Yeah, he certainly hasn't shown that over the last couple of seasons. Obviously, he's tried to come back and it's been really short stints and then he's had some kind of setback and, and he's either not playing or in this case, rehabbing. His injury was really serious. Mm. The surgery that he had was intensive. And, and kind of unique. I mean, it doesn't happen very often. That's right. With, with, with ball players. He and Stephen Wright were probably two of the first baseball players to have this done, this yeah. cartilage restoration procedure. There's really no book for how you're going to come back from it or when you're going to come back from right. it. Uh, you factor in Pedroia's age and the beating that he's already put on his body. And there are real questions about whether or not he could ever actually play again. And if you're the Red Sox and you saw how it went the first 14, 15 games while he was active, you were essentially playing with a roster of 24. He was hamstringing you from the standpoint of, can I get guys days off? How many position players can I carry? How many guys do I realistically have who can be in the lineup on a given day when I'm trying to keep other guys fresh and give other guys days off? Um, You look at the roster generally, and you would think that you're going to carry a backup catcher. That's Leon. You're going to carry Nunez. You have to carry Chavis at this point. Sure. Alex Cora said he's going to go down to 12 pitchers when all the position players are healthy, which means you're going to have four guys on the bench for position players. The guy who's going to be sent out at that point is going to be a relief pitcher. So you're looking at Josh Smith, Tyler Thornburg, uh, you know, maybe Heath Hembry, Colton Brewer, guys who are on the back end of that bullpen right now, they could find themselves in a little bit of jeopardy when Pedroia is available. It's going to be really interesting to see how many games in a row he can play at Portland at a given time. He starts his rehab assignment there on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. If he can't play back-to-back nights or three games in four days, and they have to pull him back from this rehab assignment, He's back on that hamster wheel, sort of, of stops and starts and stops and starts. They could keep him on the injured list in perpetuity Mm. if they want to and not force themselves to make a difficult roster decision. There has to be cooperation there. And these were some other interesting comments by Cora early in the week. These were the second set. There's cooperation there between the player and the team in terms of the medical staff. If the player feels that he's ready... The team is somewhat compelled to activate him mm. off the injured list. Uh, so those discussions are, are two-way. They're not one-way. The medical staff isn't allowed, for lack of a better term, to tell Pedroia, nope, you're not ready, you need to stay on the injured list. That would be sort of a way to stash a guy and prevent you from making a hard decision. 
there's going to be some push and pull there, I think, because everyone involved, Pedroia included, knows he's not going to be 100% ever again. This is going to be a situation that he manages throughout a period of time, whether it's days or months or or years. Um, So this is really sort of uncharted territory, not only for Pedroia, but for the organization as well. You know, and I think the other thing that, that and this cuts both ways, it could be good or bad, the other thing that, that uh, comes into play here is the status of Pedroia on this team. I mean, we're not just talking somebody who was here for a couple of years and had one or two good seasons. I mean, we're talking a former MVP, uh, kind of, uh, you know, embodied that dirt dog mentality for many years. He was a great, great player for, for a long time. Uh, but I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think that he is ever going to be a full-time player again. And so the question is, you know, who blinks? You know, does the does the the team go to him and have that hard conversation and say, look, we just don't think you can be the full-time player or a contributing member of this team, uh, or does does Pedroia come? come to that um, realization on his own. Now, you know, there's millions of dollars here at stake, obviously. He's got, an, as we've said many times, a, an untradeable contract. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure it's not going to be easy for him to come to that uh, uh, realization or uh, at least state that to the team. And I don't think it's going to be easy for the team to go to him and say, listen, you're through. Um But, you know, baseball kind of has a way of working these, these things out. And it may be that he just truly won't ever be ready to play again and at that point maybe he realizes just you know i'm just not going to hang around here for the paycheck now i don't know that's not me i mean it's not my money i I, you know so i I don't know what what's in his mind but it's it's hard to when you when you look at the the track record here for the last couple of years it's hard to think of him as the as the everyday second baseman or even a even a, a consistently contributing member of this team. I think one of the best things that you can take away from this is that Michael Chavis is forcing this because of his play. Right. Because he's playing well. Well, you know, it's funny. We just talked about this a few weeks ago, and, we, and it, it was sort of on the back burner because there was nobody pushing you know, the second base position at the time. And we were like, well, you know, there's nobody really making a strong case. You know, you'd bring up Zue Lin. You still have Hold. You still have... Uh, Nunez, well, you know, things changed in two weeks or three weeks, and, and Michael Chavis is really banging hard on that door. You know, now is he going to do this for the next four or five months? Well, that's months? the other thing, right. We don't know. Right. Like I said, eventually this could stop, yeah. and, and you might get back to a situation where you play Holt a little more when he's ready, you play Nunez a little more when he's ready. If Pedroia is able to get himself to a point where he can play every day or three out of four, you play him a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, none of this is meant to be a slight on how hard Pedroia has worked. No, no, no. To come back from this, um, you know, and I don't begrudge him having as many chances as, as he feels he needs. I, I think he's earned that. Um, you know, the contract certainly being what it is, he knows he's not going anywhere. Right. The team knows it as well. Uh, what it would come down to basically is Alex Cora saying to a former teammate. Hey, it's time. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's a tough thing to. That that's, would that's be a, tough a brutal, conversation. Yeah. a brutal conversation yeah. for him to have. Right. Um, you know, the other side of this, of course, is if the team is looking to get that money off the books, you need Pedroia to call time on. It. Right. Right. If you release him, you're still on the hook. for That's it. right. That's right. If you cut him, you still have to pay that. Uh, you pay that contract. Right. So what you hope, obviously, first on the list, you hope that he's healthy and can come back. And is a productive player for the next two and a half years. If that's not the case, 
then you hope that at some point he can reach a satisfactory resolution to what ultimately will be the end of his career. Right, right. And you hope that one of his apparent replacements in Chavis, who would be here for the long term, sustains this sort of form yep. over the next four or five months because he could be an impact player for them. Yeah, he's been a, he's been a, a wonderful surprise, certainly up there sooner and making a contribution sooner than I thought and a lot of people thought. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch here over the next few weeks what happens. Does he stay hot? Does Pedroia get to the point where he can come back and play consistently? Um, and does, as you pointed out, is you know how close is Holt? Because if if Holt is not really ready to come back, then you know, you do have some time. You have another spot there. So right. lots of things at play for for sure. Uh, so I wanted to uh, also uh, talk a little bit about the bullpen. Um, your sidebar today in uh, in the Thursday Providence Journal was on Marcus Walden, um, who's quite a you know interesting story. He's kind of knocked around for a little while. And has found uh, some consistency here as of late in the in the Red Sox bullpen. Uh, kind of a nice story, right? I mean, he's somebody who yeah, people kind of root for. Yeah, no question. Uh, a guy who was out of baseball in 2015. Uh, he was playing in an independent league in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and you know, at the time, called his wife, who was pregnant with their first child uh, at home in California, and said, "Do you want me to quit? Do you want me to come home? Should I finish? Should I stop?" chasing this hmm. uh you know he's played with five different organizations since being drafted by the blue jays and i think it was 2007 out of fresno city right. college uh and his wife said no i don't think you're done yet I, I think you still have more to give um you know i give you my blessing to continue to try uh you know eventually hooked on with the red sox out of independent ball uh i think he was the paw Sox pitcher of the year in 2017 hmm. i want to say he um, had a really good year at AAA, mostly as a starter and, and as a long reliever. Um, you know, made the team uh, at the start of last season. He was on the roster on opening day in Tampa, made his major league debut against the Rays, was optioned back to Pawtucket and, and sort of went up and down a little bit. Now he looks like someone who's going to establish himself. Uh, you know, through three scoreless innings against Oakland uh, on Wednesday, He's someone who's gotten some looks late in games. He's a leverage reliever, you know, a sort of one-inning guy alongside Matt Barnes and Ryan Brazier, someone who could be a candidate for the sixth, maybe the seventh inning. Mm -hmm. Um, A really interesting guy going forward and and someone who is showing significant amount of ability here through the first month. Well, the Red Sox have certainly needed him because uh, besides the the guys you just mentioned, Brazier and Barnes, who have been generally pretty good, um, you know, the rest of that bullpen has not been all that good. Heath Hembry has not uh, been the guy that we've, you know, we've seen in the past. And Tyler Thornburg, Tyler Thornburg has certainly been struggling. And Colton Brew has kind of been up and down. Um, and Workman, uh, although, you know, he's he's so, shown some flashes, um, not uh, not exactly lights out either. And, you know, a lot of walks, I think, are coming out of that bullpen, which is not a good thing. So to have Walden perform the way he's been performing I think is a is a is a uh, much needed boost you know nothing is more uh, nothing is more frustrating than watching a great uh, starting pitcher turn in six solid or even seven solid innings and then just seeing it unravel here well at Yankee Stadium the other night uh, Evaldi in, in his last appearance was really good through six yeah. innings uh, and then Brandon Workman came in in the seventh and made a total mess of things mm-hmm. uh, you know two walks a base hit 
Brazier throws a bad 0-2 pitch. Gardner hits a grand slam. Yeah. You're swept in the series, and you feel bad about yourself. Right. Uh, you know, and you put that on Workman, who after the game said, "My job's to come in and throw strikes and get outs, and I didn't do it." Right. Um, right. You know, so you tend to project, and you think if he's in a big spot at Yankee Stadium again, whether it be in June or in September or in October. Is he going to do the same thing? Can we right. trust him? Yeah. I generally look at Walden, and I see a guy who profiles as a late-inning reliever. And when I say that, I'm just looking at raw stuff. Uh, Mid-90s fastball. Generally, most back-end of the bullpen relievers have a good fastball. They throw hard. They also tend to have a secondary pitch that's what they call in baseball late. Something that's late-moving, late-breaking. You think about great relievers in the last 20-25 years. Their second pitch has generally been a cut fastball, Mariano Rivera, a split-fingered fastball, or a slider. Mm. Walden, over the last two years, has started to throw a slider. Uh, This year, he's thrown it 39% of the time. Um, And it's been a really effective pitch for him. In three innings against Oakland on Wednesday, he threw 31 pitches. 17 of them were sliders. And I think he got five swings and misses. uh, And he might have got five or six called strikes Hmm. on the pitch. It's been a really devastating um, delivery for him so far. And I I think in that respect, and the fact that he seems to be generally pretty cool and and unassuming, sort of like Brazier in a way, a guy who's sort of come out of nowhere and and now looks like he's ready to seize his chance as a 30-year-old, could be someone who profiles as a seventh-inning guy or or maybe potentially in that line with Brazier and with Barnes at the back end of the bullpen. Yep. Uh, So uh, looking ahead a little bit here – Looking at the Red Sox schedule, they are going to Chicago for four games and then to Baltimore, I want to say, for three. Mm -hmm. Uh, So certainly if you are a team that has been scuffling and then uh, starting to play a little bit better and you are trying to uh, not only get over 500 but regain some of your form, these are two pretty good teams to to go up against. Neither have been uh, very good so far this year. I'm looking at the standings here in the... Chicago White Sox are 12-15, and 15, and the uh, Baltimore Orioles are in last place behind the Red Sox in the AL East at 11-20. and 20. Um, And as the weather is starting to turn here, Bill, and the Red Sox are kind of uh, finding their footing, and I'm not going to have to ask you to break out the calculator again. Thank you. But, <laughs> but it's a traumatic moment. It was, me. both of us. Uh, but, um, you know, there's still time, obviously, and uh, there's no team, as I, as I mentioned earlier, who's really running away with it. Uh, so if you're a Red Sox fan, hopefully two, three weeks down the road, uh, this team is a little bit higher in the standings, uh, obviously, with if they have health on their side. Um, and so better late than never for, the, for this Red Sox team. Well, you know, and Chris Sale made this point when he signed his contract extension, and he's right. How many teams in the American League are actually trying to win? Right, right. You, you mean win the whole thing. So if you're the right. Red Sox, you're one of the teams that are actually trying. Right, right. You're playing Baltimore however many times a year, and you're playing the White Sox and the Tigers and the Royals right. however many times right. a year. These, ti- these teams don't have realistic chances of winning the championship, and, and obviously they are uh, looking for the future and looking to build, and so it's sort of a different strategy during the year. So this, I mean, they're trying to win the games, obviously. Right. Their, their effort on the field is <laughs> right, what it is. Right. But in terms of the front office, you're trying to knock it down and rebuild it, yeah. uh, whether that's through young players, through draft capital, um, you know, through international signings, whatever it may be. Um, so you look at the White Sox and, and you look at the Orioles. Now, the White Sox this offseason, 
reportedly were involved on Bryce Harper and mm. Manny Machado, which would have been a splash signing for them. Either one of those guys. They got neither. Right. Uh, you know, so now you're at a point where you've got one of the flashiest young rookies in the league, Eloy Jimenez, who currently is on the injured list. Right. Uh, unfortunate for Red Sox fans who might have hoped to get a, a, a first look at him. Fortunate for the team because he's been one of the White Sox better players yeah. early on. Um, so you figure the Red Sox being who they are and the way that they're starting to trend. You want to see five and two on this trip, sure. Six and one on this trip. These are two teams where you're supposed to get well, um, and Boston's going to have a lot of those. You know, just with the talent that they have, the stature that they have in the game, the approach that they have to seasons in a given year. They're trying to contend. They're trying to win championships. There are a fair amount of teams who are not set up to do so on a year in year out right. basis. The Red Sox need to take advantage of chances like this. And you get the sense that you've seen enough maybe over the last 12 to 15 that they're starting to put themselves in a position to do so. Well, and and uh, and now is the time to, to start doing that because uh, while it's true that you are going to see the Orioles uh, plenty of times this, this year, I mean, the schedule is going to get a little tougher here. You're going to see the Houston Astros coming up. Uh, Six times in May. Right. You're going to see Seattle. You're going to see... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the Yankees are still a ways off at the end of May, but I'm expecting the Yankees will be a different team by the time you see them again. I think you'd rather play the Yankees tomorrow. Right, absolutely. Considering how many guys they have hurt. Now, I know that several of their guys on the injured list are, are longer term to mm. the point where you might even miss them In, at the end of May and the start of yeah. June. Um, but you'd rather play the Yankees 19 times right now sure. before any of their guys come back. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned May, though. They're on the road a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're starting May on this seven-game road swing. Uh, you've got seven more, I think four at Toronto and then three at Houston. And then you go to the Yankees at the end of the month. Right. Playing Houston six times is not easy. You would do well to split three and three there. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, so, and Houston's going to have a, a score to settle with you, too. No question. You, <laughs> from you knocked them year. out of the playoffs last year in the American League Championship Series. Yep. Uh, you dethroned them as world champions. Right. Um, you know, so that's those two series are, are going to be very difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. You play those within the span of, I think it's about 10 days apart. Yeah, they're not other. too far, right. Um, Houston comes in here, and then you go to Toronto, and then you go to Houston. Uh, so it's, it's going to be an odd turnaround there. Yeah. Um, but I think that the, the pieces are there. And the schedule is there for the Red Sox to sort of see some light here, whether it be at the end of May or, or the start of June. If they manage to stay healthy, guys continue on the current trends. They get a couple guys back off the injured list, Evaldi in particular, yeah. by early June or mid-June. Um, could come back to a very different team than the one that he left. Well, we will uh, we will see what happens, and we will do this again in a week. And... Um I'm going to say that the Red Sox are going to be a 500 team by then. Going on on a limb a little bit here, but I mean they're only three games away from that, and you've got four in four in Chicago and three in uh, three in Baltimore. I'm going to uh, roll the dice and say they're going to be a 500 team. As so. I said, if you go five and two on the trip, that would put you You're right there. there. You're You'd there. be 19 and 19. Well, we'll see how my uh, prediction works out a week from uh, a week from today. It's bold but. of you, I like it. <laughs> Going out on a limb here. I like right, it. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Bill, it's fun as always, and we'll do this again. All right, Bill.